Greetings and welcome to another episode of Stanford Cinema. As always, I am your host. My name is Andrew. Thank you very much for downloading this latest episode. And today, we've got something pretty darn exotic in store for you. I don't know why I said exotic. I don't know. Um, but whatever, I'm going to roll with it. The, the guest that we have today is incredible. She's had quite a prolific career, which she'll tell us about in just a couple moments. But she hails all the way from Greece. Actually, she hails from the UK. She lives in Greece. And um, she's got quite a story. I'm really excited to uh, to discuss that with her. The movie that she selected today is pretty awesome. We're going to be talking about 1982's Francis Ford Coppola's The Outsiders, a little movie that launched many a career. We're talking The Karate Kid, uh, Ralph Macchio. Uh, We're talking C. Thomas Howell, who went on to do great films like Soul Man, um, eh, maybe not necessarily great, uh, but whatever. It's a movie that I certainly have seen a couple times. <laughs> Hasn't aged well, but whatever. I'm, I, I digress. Oh, he was also in Side Out, which was that like late 80s, early 90s volleyball movie with like Peter Horton and uh, Courtney Thorne Smith and the the hot mom from Parenthood, uh, Harley, Harley, Harley Jane Kozak, I think. And uh, but anyway. We're talking about The Outsiders. We're not talking about C. Thomas Howell specifically, although he is one of the, the main stars in this movie, as is at the time of publishing the birthday boy himself, Mr. Patrick Swayze, RIP. He's in this. Tom Cruise is in it. Emilio Estevez is in this. Diane Lane is in this. I mean, this movie has, again, a ridiculous cast. But I mean, I'm yapping on. You don't want to hear me. Let's get the guests out here. I'm thrilled to welcome her to the show. So with a with a warm Stanford Cinema greeting, please welcome Karina Cantis. Again, Karina, thank you very much for, for taking the time to speak with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's exciting, this uh, podcast. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm excited to have you. And uh, Karina, if you wouldn't mind, just for our listeners, uh, you know, just maybe introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, uh, a little bit about your background, what you do, because it's quite exciting. <laughs> um, my name is Karina Gantus. I'm from the UK, as you can tell from my accent, but I live on the island of Corfu in Greece. I am an award winning author of 14 books, I'm an award winning filmmaker. I'm also a booktuber, a YouTuber, a podcaster, a radio host, and I also run Author Assist, which helps other authors with their marketing and promotion of their book. So very, very quite extensive. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to, uh, to speak with you. But I'm, what I'm most intrigued about, honestly, is how you, uh, how you came to be in Greece. Um, I came on holiday 27 years ago with my sister and met my husband. Oh, I love that. That's such a great story. I almost made it to Greece. I was in the Navy once upon a time and we were supposed to go there. And then we ended up making it to Crete for about six hours. And then we, I, I don't know why, but then we immediately went back to sea and uh, then spent about a few months in the in the Arabian Sea and Persian Gulf, but I almost got there. I almost got well, there. 
you know, you, you're still young and there's, to, there's time left on this earth and uh, Greece is a beautiful place. So if you get the chance, you should go and check it out. For sure. For sure. So would you mind, obviously, you, you're you know an author of 14 books. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you write, what you enjoy writing and how you got into into writing in the first place? Well, first, I don't stick to one genre. I'm a prolific author. I do everything from horror to comedy, fantasy, science fiction, erotica, young adult, um, thriller, dark romance. I mean, I, I even make up my own genres as I go along. Um, <laughs> I became an author because of Essie Hinton, mm -hmm. the author of the amazing book, The Outsiders. After I read that book and I read all of her others, I combed the library for more type, uh, rebel type fiction, I'd call it. And I couldn't find anything. And um, I knew there was a hole in the market for it. And I had a story I wanted to tell. And so my, my first sort of introduction to writing was an 18 page short story called In Times of Violence, which later on when I moved to Greece, I started working on it and one page became 20, two pages 40. And by the time I'd finished this 18 page short story, I had a novel. I love that. That's great. It's magic. Absolute magic when it works like that. It felt like magic. You know, I was just just uh, typing it up. All I was going to do is type the story up onto the um, computer. And when I looked down, I finished the page and I looked up and and there was 20 pages already done on the computer. It was like, where did, how did that happen? <laughs> my, my fingers just flew across the keyboards. It was just like, it was like magic, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Now, obviously being as you stated, prolific. I mean, what what inspires you? Where do you where do you find these ideas? You know, what what where does it where does every where's the inception come from? It can come from a film, it can come from a book, it can come from TV, it can come from a conversation, it can come from a dream. Um inspiration hits you anywhere and everywhere. Um my fantasy duology was inspired by Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, although there are no wizard, elves, goblins, um, dwarfs, nothing of Tolkien's in my book, and yet his field inspired me. Um, my supernatural thriller Stone Cold is rather biographical apart from the murders and the supernatural part. The rest of it is um, stuff that I went through as a teen. Um, then you have my last book, which was a um, dark mafia romance. I wrote that after reading about, I don't know, maybe a hundred books on Wattpad about dark mafia romances. Then I watched all of the mafia films I could get my hands on. <laughs> then I watched the TV programs and and read the books and I just binged, binged until I was so full I was ready to write my own book. 
And that's what happens when it comes to writing in different uh, genres. I have a passion for it. I binge on it. I write my book and then I move on to another one, whatever mm. takes my fancy, whatever comes next. So when it comes to writing, how much time are you, do you find that you're self-investing a day, a week? Like how often, like how often are you writing? I don't force myself to write. I have to be in the mood to do it. And I don't give myself a, oh, you're doing 2000 words today. I write when I'm ready to write and I write as long as I can. But because of the, I'm working for my clients 10 hours a day, five days a week. And so I have the weekends only to promote 14 of my books, to edit something, to write something. It doesn't give me a lot of time to, to do much writing, but that's how it's been working out for the last few years now. So mm -hmm. weekends mainly and uh, very late nights. Yeah. When did you publish your first, uh, your first book? I was 20. Um, gosh. A long time ago. Yeah. That's okay. You don't have to give me like the, the year. I can't, I, just, I can't. I can't remember. A long, long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love about hearing your story and everything and, and what you've discussed is, again, this all goes back to S.E. Hinton and the outsiders. And that, it does. you know, it, it, it's it, it's such a an incredible book and in how it, I mean, the the first time I would have read it would have been you know, as a young adult, I mean, there were introduced to it here in America in what we call like our middle school. So or like our seventh and so eighth grade. We, so were we in the UK? It was part of the English curriculum. I love that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's great. I mean, obviously, you know, literature, it, it doesn't have uh, it doesn't have geographical borders or anything, but it, it's it, it's such a key piece of American uh, lore here. I mean, obviously, whether you're talking about um, uh, social economics and every that that element that you, you've got the difference between the greasers and you know the and the, the kids that have everything, the the socias or socials, and um, obviously that's important. But the the sheer notion that this is a novel that was written at the time by a teenager, you know, just from see, observing what 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 she was experiencing in her own life and i'm just kind of curious what about the story is what clicked with you and, and and caused that inspiration what what did you mostly identify with it's uh i identified with the teenagers especially the, the greasers that um they never felt like they belonged in society they never felt like they fitted in and and yet they had the best family they had they had each other and family doesn't necessarily mean blood and that's what i took from that book from the film um and in times of violence when i wrote it it was about a girl who just again didn't feel like she belonged anywhere she wasn't loved by her parents um she felt in the way and uh she arranged to go to uh, london because she lives in the sticks. She rages to go to London to stay with her aunt for the summer, and that's when she meets uh, tyrants. And um, she's finally found the, the family that she's been craving for. She's f finally found the love and respect she wants. But it, nothing's so easy in life as, uh, as, as that. So um, 
she has to um how can I put it? She has to work to keep her title. Um, she's now uh, the lady of the president of the motorcycle club. But there's lots of other ladies out there that want her place. And so she has to fight to keep a title. But then you've also got then the enemies of the tyrants, which would be like the Soch of the Greasers. And um, what's different about mine and hers is that mine's a lot more violent, uh, a lot more graphic. Uh, S.E. Hinton's was a young adult, and back then, young adult books were so tame mm -hmm. compared to what they are nowadays. Um, so, uh, yeah, so she doesn't get some very good experiences, and she's, uh, she gets what she wants but not in the way that she wanted it. Mm -hmm. What I also love about the story is the fact that the, did you hear how this, how this book became a film in the, in the first place and the, the, yeah. the legend? Yeah. Um, do you, do you feel comfortable like uh, telling a little bit of the backstory of what happened? Yeah. yeah um, well, we know that Francis Ford Cobbler was the, the director and nobody could have made that film. And all the others that he did for Essie Hinton, nobody could have directed them better than he did. So he was actually contacted by a librarian of a school, from what I remember, where the kids had read the book and they were adamant that someone had to make the film. Someone needed to make the film. The book was so good, they wanted to see it on this big screen. And so uh, she writes to to Francis, and uh, and that's how it all started. Yeah, I, th I, I just love that story. Just the the, the this uh, librarian, you know, just writing writing a letter to a filmmaker saying that you know we've selected you, we want you to to tell this story. And I think about that, like if they're if there's a, a novel that you have read or even one of your own for that matter yes, is if you could exactly any filmmaker make yes. any particular film do you do you yes. have one in mind i do this is one of the books that the fans really want to see on screen and it's called lawless justice and um it's uh, quentin tarantino who mm. will be the ideal director for this film it needs to be arty it needs to be made it's something, the, the actual story has never been seen on screen. It's something so un, unusual and different that it deserves to be made into a movie rather than spend millions and millions on these stupid remakes. <laughs> take, take a script you've never seen before. Take a story that has never hit the screen before and see what happens when you do that. That's when you're going to start making the billions and you'll start making money on merch and you'll start making money on, you know, why to waste all those billions doing a remake when it doesn't need to be remade? It's like someone doing The Outsiders now. I mean, Outsiders is a cult classic. You don't touch it. Mm -hmm. But so was Dirty Dancing. Look what they did to that. Right. You know? Um, but... Um, yeah, um, Lawless Justice is about a, a vigilante gang of biker women, but they lead double lives. So they're all professional, doctor, lawyer, mechanic, photographer, uh, journalist, 
and what's the other one? Psychiatrist during the day. And then at night when they put their leathers on, they become the kittens and they get paid to sort people out. Oh my Lord. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are sexy, dangerous women, but they feel like it starts off with them writing the wrong. Like uh, people, someone smaller than yourself who couldn't take care of a problem can hire the kittens to take care of it for them. So they feel like they're doing, the, you know, a good service. Mm. But throughout the book, it starts getting, it's you know, wires start getting crossed. Where do you cross the line, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's, I absolutely love it and Everyone who's read it said the same thing. You know, this needs to be made into a movie. So I just need to find someone now who will write the screenplay. Right, right. Because <laughs> I can't. <laughs> that's totally different kind of writing to what I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, shoot. You know, that's one of the great things about uh, Quentin Tarantino is if you know, write that letter, get it to him because he he, he writes screenplays too. So, I mean, we all we have to do is I just, know. Uh, just get it I know. to him. It's, <laughs> it's getting so close now where... He's getting to the age where he's going to be retiring soon, you know. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. But he's the only one who could really bring that story to life and, and for it to be arty as it deserves to be, um, and for him to use his vision on my story. Um, one person was going to take it, and um, he he was basically really honest with me and said, by the time the film's made, it won't be anything like your book. I said, yeah, but it'll be based on my book. There you go. That's all I need. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time that something was based on on work and you, and you see those, you know, deviations and everything. I mean, obviously, you know, the one of the big famous ones is obviously The Shining, right? For Stephen King's version versus uh, Stanley Kubrick's version. I mean, they, they both take place in a in a hotel. You know, they, they, they both call The Shining. <laughs> They're both taking place at the overlook. Twins. <laughs> yeah, both, but I mean, that's where that's where it all ends, right? I mean, there there's obviously significant deviation. So uh, now, is that something that you feel as a storyteller that obviously, I mean, you have your own vision, you create this, you know, this world. You know, would I mean? I guess it. I guess it depends on. You know, I, now I feel like I'm answering the question for you. It, it, it all depends on on uh, the piece of work and how and how the changes are made. But th- just that idea that you create something and then somebody brings it to life. And it's a little bit different than maybe you would have. Uh, well, and I yeah. mean, the guy who's going to write the screenplay and he said uh, this would have to change. Uh, that would have to go. That wouldn't be like that. That wouldn't be like that. And I'm like, OK, when it comes to the integrity of see it's not it's not about i would love the book to be out exactly just like harry potter you know lord of the rings the outsiders make it exact to the book as you can but that wouldn't work that because so many things are different um of how filmmakers see a vision how a script screenwriter sees a vision so because it's going down different hands it's going to get changed again and again and again until you finally get this film that comes out based on the novel by Karina Gantas okay that's all right I don't mind as long as I have some um you know if they come to me for um for for help um and I have uh, some say 
in how it's done. If I can have a small part in the film, because I would love to act in it, uh, just like she did, you know, Essie Hinton got herself in every one of the films that were based on her books. Um, So, yes, I'd want to play a part, a speaking part as well. And I'd want to have uh, some um, vision when it comes to the directing part. And, And then they can do what they like with it after that. There are writers that, you know, novelists that, that do, I mean, that do, I mean, like I see, she helped write, was it Rumblefish? I think she also helped write the screenplay for that. Um, but I mean, again, just, I, I referenced uh, Stephen, Stephen King. I mean, he was obviously an author and short storyteller, but I mean, he himself has written a screenplay or, or several. So even though maybe that's not something that you've tackled yet, do you think that you would ever want to take a crack now? I've tried. Never tried? I've tried. I've oh, tried. Yeah. And yeah, no, I've tried. So uh, yeah, because like I said, I really wanted to get that on uh, written out and get it to into hands of people. Um, but no, it's a totally different uh, um, ball game to novel writing. Oh, for sure. It's it's like in a novel, you can express emotions and um, feelings. In a film, you can't. You have to show it. So what I would have had as like one, uh, maybe a, a paragraph would be maybe a full scene in a movie to mm-hmm. show that right. emotion or or that um, um, description. Mm-hmm. Again, you describe in a book, but you can't do that on film. So it's, it is a totally different type of writing. And I admire anybody who can do both. You know, kudos to them. Contact me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> now, if we may, you know, just to talk a little bit about the film specifically, because it is, you know, we we use that term cult, cult classic. I mean, the movie did have moderate success. I mean, it made over 30 or so million dollars in the box office on a $10 million budget, which generally speaking is fairly modest. But when you think of the careers that this movie launched, it is just like pound for pound, like one of the most successful in that maybe it didn't necessarily translate... Pardon me? The like Brat Pack. pack. Yeah, because yeah, um, for for the listeners that maybe have not seen the film, I mean, this is a movie that starred Matt Dillon and Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Amelia Estevez, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Diana Lane, C. Thomas Howell. I mean, uh, it's, it's unreal. That and the fact that you had like cameos by... Um, Sophia Coppola and I think Nick Cage had a brief cameo. And I want to say like Melanie Griffith also had like a cameo. Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah. So, I mean, this, I mean, this movie helped turn these names into household names. And I mean, everybody apart from, I think, Patrick Swayze were in their late teens or maybe 20. Right. I mean, they were, they were all kids. And this was a movie that everybody wanted like everybody auditioned for this film and those that made it, they, they all had a massive run of success. And obviously Tom Cruise and uh, a couple others are still flying high, even, you know, even 40 years later. You know, when, when, when he auditioned them, he auditioned them for not the parts that they've all got. 
mm-hmm. that he that they were actually auditioned for different parts than what they came. And um, I think it was Rob Lowe. I think that was his acting debut in uh, The Outsiders, mm-hmm. Soda Pop. When when I think about this movie, and you know, obviously, I, I just can't imagine what it would have been like even just filming this and just in like the research, I didn't know that the the pranks that they did were something uh, of lore, but I don't know if you heard anything about this, but while they were shooting, just notorious pranks that just went on throughout. Everybody just ran them up. Apart, Everybody... apart, from, apart from Ralph, because That's, he was so yeah. serious mm-hmm. with his... Uh, he just wanted to keep on um, rehearsing his script and he didn't want to take part in these childish pranks that everybody was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can just imagine that, can't you? And um, another thing he did, I mean, you probably know this now because we've been doing our research, both of us, um, that uh, Francis gave the um, the actors who were playing the Soch a beautiful script, leather bound, and put them in the luxury part of the hotel then he gave them all torn up scripts and scruffy scripts to the greasers and put them in the bottom of the hotel Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> because he wanted to cause friction already between the two groups before they even started a scene. I thought that that's classic. That is, that's uh... <laughs> it's, it, it's classic. It's also so mean, but you, you hear stories like this from a lot of these filmmakers in the the seventies that came out. You know, like your Brian De Palma's, your uh, Francis Ford Coppola's, um, and you know several others that that did have this uh, this this creative control, but also did like to take the. Uh, instead of to use the term like method acting, but kind of like method filmmaking, just different ways just to kind of get under the skin and just even create tension uh, among method those. Method to that... his madness. <laughs> exactly. That method to his madness. Exactly. And uh, yeah. And now when you think of the, those that were like the play to social, I, I don't know if I can really think of any of those actors that I, that I, I don't I mean, there may have been a couple that turned into, something no, but i mean I, I i know them from their name i can see them in front of me when i close my eyes but uh, except for uh cherry valance diane lane oh that's right yeah um, yeah the the actual the rest of the social they never never made it big like the mm. greasers did that's yeah. quite that's quite I mean, cool to think about that yeah. you know how come so, I mean, all the greasers yeah, how come all the greasers got famous and yet the poor socialist didn't? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, you may have gotten a leather bound screenplay, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> look at me now. <laughs> what did you now? Obviously, I, I, I'm assuming that you did read the book long before you saw the film. Now, what did you, what did you think of that film adaptation? How do you feel about it? There, I've seen both. I've seen the short version and the long version. And I've read the uh, the novel short version and the long version because there's two. And um, yeah, I thought the um, the adaption was was spot on. And I think there's only one reason for that, and that's Essie Hinton. Mm-hmm. It's because she was part of the cast. She was part of um, every. She was part everything to do about the film, and she wasn't pushed to the side like you would be nowadays. 
they they wanted her input and she gave her input and it's her vision and Francis wanted to have that vision come alive and I think it was um yeah almost identical but the same not just with outsiders her others um texts and that was then this is now rumblefish um just like page you know word off the page is what would be in the film um the the description of the the places exactly like the film picture uh, depicts it from the book it's yeah very 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 close Mm -hmm. do you do you have a favorite scene in the film yeah i like the bit where where um uh, i'd say uh ralph but his uh actual name in the johnny k johnny yeah johnny, do it for um, johnny. Where, yeah <laughs> let's do it for johnny yeah that's cool um no um he's just a uh, cut and dyed uh, pony boy's hair and Pony Boy's looking into this bucket of water and he sees himself blonde and he's got this cigarette hanging from his mouth and he goes, yeah, tough, yeah, yeah, tough. <laughs> this is a cigarette hanging from his mouth and this blonde, like, sort of, it looks like a wig. It just, it's so obvious it doesn't suit him. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I, I like that um Oh, this is so much. I mean, there's so many classic lines in that film that, mm -hmm. you know, that uh, just uh, are so meaningful to, to someone who who um, loves the film uh, and the book like I do. Um, like the one you just quoted with where Matt Dillon um, dies, Dally, Dally. Dally, yeah. Dally Wilson. He's uh, in hospital. And um, he's finally got a cigarette, but then it breaks and he gets pissed. But then he sort of he's pissed that he's missing out on the, the big fight between the greasers and the socialists. And Johnny's sort of next door dying. And so let's do it for Johnny. Let's do it for Johnny. Did you, um, the, um, the two, no, three things I found out about the actual fight that rumble that took place did you did you get any trivia on it no no right first one was on the on the um the shot where the first punch is laid into um uh pony boy yeah mm -hmm. they, yeah see it was actually, yeah yeah it was actually real and he got knocked out completely Oh really? I didn't know that. No. Yeah, yeah. They didn't cut. They didn't cut it. They didn't uh, re-direct um, uh, uh, it or anything. They kept that in as the into the actual film. Yeah. And um, who else was it? Um, Tom Cruise got hit and had to get his jaw meant uh, mended the following day because <laughs> uh, they knocked his tooth out. Mm -hmm. And the first um, time they did the. F one fight it was raining and the second time they filmed the fight it wasn't but because they'd already had it with rain they then had to bring in artificial waters right. soak the ground soak the actors and they were freezing while they were fighting in 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 this uh in this um lot and uh so it was artificial rain 
and then two of them um, officially got hit through that uh, fight. Obviously, I mean, we, 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 we've been discussing this film, but again, just back uh, backtrack for the listeners. This movie, essentially, I'm, I'm stealing this from the, the Rotten Tomatoes website to kind of give like a plot summary, because I mean, there, there, there might be a couple of people that, that were absent that week in uh, middle school and never, and never saw the film, but quote, a teen gang in rural, rural Oklahoma, the greasers are perpetually, perpetually at odds with the socials, AKA socials, a rival group. When greasers, pony, pony boy and Johnny get into a brawl that ends in the death of a social member, the boys are forced to go into hiding. Soon, Ponyboy and Johnny, along with the intense Dallas and their other greaser buddies, must contend with the consequences of their violent lives. While some greasers try to achieve redemption, others meet tragic ends. I, I think that summarizes it. Uh, yeah, it summarizes it, but it's not how I would have wrote the blurb. It doesn't tell them about the... about how close all the greasers are, mm. how they're all from um, mixed families, um, either abuse, go through abuse uh, from their parents or um, their parents have died and they're being looked after by their brother and they just look out for one another. It's always been family between them. And so when something happens and they need help, um, they're going to help that person no matter what it costs them. Like when uh, Daryl's running from the police and he's got a fake gun in his hand and he knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And he calls, he's, he's already been shot by the shopkeeper, even mm-hmm. though he weren't going to steal anything. Mm-hmm. He's basically having a nervous breakdown. And he phones um, Patrick Swayze, uh, Daryl, uh, Daris, Daryl. Oh, I always get those Daryl and Dallas. Yeah, Daryl and Dallas always get them I know, mixed up. I know, I'm with you. Um, and he phones him and he says, you know, um, I need a place. And the, he's straight away off the phone, Daryl, Daryl, Dallas needs our help. So no matter what happens, they're going to go and try and hide him. Um, when, um, when the two young kids are on the run because of the murder. Um, they go to the one person they know that can help him and that is uh, Dallas. And um, he's got a hideaway for when he gets into trouble. He's uh, got the money stashed, he's got the, the gun, you know, he gives it all to them, tells them exactly where to hide, when to hide out, tells them that I'll come and see you when the coast is clear and all that. It's because they are like family, they're blood, and they will do anything to protect one another. And I think that's what makes the film so special is, is that um, the, the friendship, the family, um, the closeness between the greasers, because um, we don't go into the social. It's not, the film isn't about the socialists and the greasers fighting. Because if it was, then we would hear more about the socialists, mm-hmm. their life. And we don't. We don't get into that at all in the book, except for when she says, oh, you think you've got it tough. Uh, you know, you think, uh, oh, so sh- rich kids, you know. But, you know, we everyone gets it 
hard it's hard everywhere it's not just just because you're a, a greaser and i'm a socialist i have a better life cherry that's the only part of the whole book and film where cherry says that line to to say you know uh, things are, are difficult all around don't just look at what the pretty picture um but the book and the the film is about the greasers and their lives and where they live and how they live and how they are with one another and what they will do for one another, how they will protect one another to the last. And that is what the film is about. And it says there is a, a tagline which which just it, it just relates completely what I was writing about with the in times of violence. They grew up on the outside of society. They weren't looking for a fight. They were looking to belong. Mm. And that's what it is. It's it's wanting to belong because they don't feel like they have in not being wanted by their family, um, not be, getting on at school, not having friends, just not feeling like they need to be there. You've right. got the choice. You know, you either kill yourself and get it, get it over and done with. You're, you're, you're that... Um, depressed and just feel like I said um lonely alone alone that's the word very articulate very far more uh, eloquent than I ever could have said <laughs> no it's 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 what many teenagers go through feeling alone and um either unwanted or not understood Mm. And um, the Greasers were lucky to have each other. They they were lucky to have that uh, that uh, brotherhood, mm -hmm. and uh, that's what I I try to keep in my books is is that the brotherhood or the sisterhood um, that they will look after one another. They will take a bullet for each other, um, and that they're the family that they've always needed and wanted, and never had. Mm -hmm. Anything else that you would like to say about the film? I know you know we've been chatting for the past uh, half hour, or so do you have anything else that you'd like to you'd like to discuss about the film before we just uh, get this oh, uh, get this posted some... so everybody can hear hear our conversation? I've got some tidbits and some more um, trivia. Okay. Okay. The original film was um, two hours thirteen minutes. And of course, he had to cut it down to ninety-one minutes. So, can you imagine what was on the the cutting floor? Yeah, imagine what parts he took out. And because now there's, you know, there's the the longer version, which I haven't seen. I've only seen the the ninety-minute version. I didn't, you know, I only just upon research found out that there's one that has another twenty or so minutes. And mm -hmm. so, I'm, I'm just kind of curious just to know what all they so, add into it. Yeah, one one scene at the beginning where they're chasing kids. Um, one scene um, uh, when they've been to the cinema and something happens there that's been cut out. Uh, there's another scene where he's ringing up his teacher and asking about the English essay. Um, can it be personal? How long can it be? Blah, blah, blah. That was taken out. Um, so they're tiny little bits mm -hmm. out of the film that don't make 
a huge problem, you know, doesn't make you lose any of what the film's trying to convey in the story. Just a little bit that he cut off knowing that it wouldn't hurt the film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, you remember when Cruz did a, a flip off of the back of the truck when they're mm-hmm. just about to run off and do the rumble? Yeah. Before he was going to do the stunt, he was feeling sick because he'd had apparently too much to eat. And he said to Essie Hinton, he said, I don't think I can do this because I feel sick. And she said, if, do you think, do you feel that if you were sick that you'd be able to do it? And he said, yeah. So she took him to the food truck, made him drink raw eggs. He threw up and was able to do the backflip off the truck. <laughs> Yeah, and got a little got a little uh, help from Patrick Swayze on how to do the stunt. As I, uh... that's right. Yeah, it was Patrick that uh, taught him how to do that. Um, Rob Lowe asked Essie Hinton what happened to his character, so yeah. and she was quite honest. She said, "Oh, he, he was drafted to Vietnam and he died there." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet he wish he never asked. Yeah, now. I know. Yeah, like sometimes uh, the more you know is not is not good. You know. Um, Emilio and Tom uh, were actually friends before the film and they actually auditioned together. Mm-hmm. And this would not be the the last time that they acted on screen together because I think of uh, Mission Impossible that they did, you know, about 20 years later uh, that Emilio Estevez has a small, small scene in in that film. So, yeah, Emilio and Tom Cruise acted a couple times and yeah. That's cool. Uh, Rob Lowe, um, it was its film debut. I was right about that. Just checked. Um, and he auditioned for the role of Randy. But he really wanted to play a greaser so badly that he gave a really bad audition for <laughs> Randy. <laughs> so, yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. There you go. They're, they're just little tidbits that uh, I found. And... Um, Another thing that's quite interesting is the stage musical comes out uh, February, March next year of The Outsiders. I can only imagine, you know, The Outsiders and and then um, the one who's playing, um, who did Patrick Swayze, just stands out there, comes out in song before they go off and fight in the rumble. Oh, Oh, no. I can't, I can't, you know. They tried to do a TV series that lasted one season. You, you don't mess with something that's not broken. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't agree just with leave you more. it as the book and the film finish a musical. You serious? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, there are pieces of, of art that are just completely untouchable, right? And I mean, you'd have to put this in, in that category. I mean, Francis Ford Coppola is a you know, fantastic filmmaker and the, the movie would, I mean, we're obviously the, the tone and the, the relationships and that brotherhood is so important, but stylistically this movie, there, there's a look to it, right? I mean, there, there's just this, um, I don't know, just it, just the, the just the look and feel of this movie. Of course, it was shot on location in Oklahoma, but there's, I don't know, there, there's just something magical, the way, the, the look of the film. It almost doesn't necessarily feel 
it's it's so raw it's so realistic mm -hmm. it's it's like you said you, you you're not watching a film you're seeing a story come a, mm -hmm. alive and you you know you're meeting these characters and you, you're learning about their relationship with one another and um it's not arty like he did with rumblefish mm -hmm. now that was so arty um but you look, you're right. There is there is a kind of um, melancholy feel yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, and just the the idea of like, how do you how would you remake a Francis Ford Coppola film in the first place? You know, like it, it's just a iconic filmmaker. You know, you're you're like, yeah, the guy that did Godfather. We're gonna we're gonna take one of his other films and we're just gonna we're gonna redo it. And, you know, the movie that launched the careers of Tom Cruise and Patrick Swayze and Matt Dillon and Rob Lowe. Yeah, we're going to we're going to bring some other, you know, some fresh new blood. Unknown, I mean, unknown the, faces. And we're going to yeah. make them into the Brat Pack and we'll make them famous as well. No, no, no it won't work. Mm -hmm. Won't work. <laughs> yeah, just and uh, I mean, it very well may make money, but it just when you look at it, it, sometimes it's more than money. Right. I mean, the everything lined up for that film, you know, the 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 actors was for the, the right parts nobody could have played who they played better than themselves um essie hinton uh being a part of the um uh production and everything um having francis do the directing everything just lined up and if something was out of whack if something didn't fit like it has then it wouldn't be a cult classic like it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Karina, I'm, I am curious. Um, what other what other type of um, well, who do you read? I mean, we obviously know that S.E. Hinton inspired you. Who do you who do you read today? I'm a Wattpad girl. I'm hardly ever off Wattpad. There are some amazing authors on Wattpad. Um, I'm not talking about fan fiction now. We're talking about uh, books that could easily become bestsellers. Um, it's not how uh, Wattpad got the reputation for fan fiction and 15-year-olds doing um, writing sex scenes and what have you. It's uh, it's matured a lot more since then. So, yeah, I'm reading books off Wattpad more than anything. Um, but um, books that I have on my one bookshelf um, would be um, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, mm -hmm. Harry Potter, The Twilight Saga, um, Divergent, Hunger Games, Essie um, Hinton's The Outsiders, that was in This Is Now, Tex, Taming of the Star Runner, and Rumblefish, all five of her books. Just uh, oh, Dean Coots, many of Dean Coots. Uh, Richard Lehman, um, James Herbert. So, yeah, quite a mixture. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, all over the spectrum, too, as far as the the genres that you're that you're looking at. That. So very well read. I love that. Uh, admittedly, mm -hmm. I wish I read more today than I do now. Uh, just since I started the podcast, I'm just watching even more. I, I thought that I had seen a ton of movies and now I just watch even more. But my my passion is screenwriting. That's how, that's what I went, that's what I went to school for. You know, I've written a couple screenplays, et cetera. 
Um, uh, you, you, I'm going to have to send you my book just to get your um, I mean, notion I, on it. You were, you know, you were saying, what you think. I mean, um, I shoot, I, at this point, you, you've said several titles. I've just forgotten the one that you uh, that you were discussing, about the, the Quentin Tarantino inspired, directed one. Um, Lawless Justice. Lawless Justice, yeah. I mean, I was, I was listening to even the, when you were just kind of, loosely talking about the plot as far as the 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 professionals what by day and what they do by night i'm just kind of curious on just yeah the story and just trying to wrap it in my own brain on like visually what i would what i would do so that's that's definitely something i want to read but i mean yeah so screenwriting um, that's my that's my passion that's and awesome. i'm always i'm always uh blown away when i talk to uh novelists and people that are able to tell a story that way because i wish i had such beauty with the with the english language to 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 write in that form now i i'm not i'm not a, a buffoon but at the same time it's just it's it's maybe not done in prose but there's intense poetry when you when you read a, a really good story a really good when you read great work from a from a from a true author this is why i loved essie hinton's books so much and i still do it's because she was just um her writing was just so simple straight edged so simple to read no big words no pages of description that weren't needed no flowery writing it was just in get to the action get to the characters get to the storyline next next conflict conflict fix next conflict and that's how i write i want my reader to read the first page and then not be able to put the book down because mm -hmm. it's just going to be action after action conflict after conflict uh, dialogue um um drama and there'll be no bothering to uh, flick over pages and miss them because of flowery writing or over description you don't get that in my book and it's Essie Hinton's books that gave me that style mm -hmm. of how I wanted to write my books, mm -hmm. the way that she wrote hers. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it, it works and it works for her. And some, some authors are where we're talking to like very, very descriptive and, you know, some of those stories, they work too. Sometimes it's just a little overindulgent, but, uh, <laughs> just, um, you know, for example, like Brett Easton Ellis and uh, American Psycho and Stephen words, King. Mm -hmm, were just literally <laughs> paragraphs or not like pages rather of, of 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 description. Again, sometimes it works, exactly. sometimes it doesn't. But just to have that in your tool belt to be able to write either way is just like I said, just something that I'm incredibly inspired by. Is just again people that that can that can tell stories in that in that form. Um, but at the same time, I wish I was a a poet too. So I mean, I would love to be able to I would say that if a reader doesn't need to know about it then the writer shouldn't write it mm -hmm. so when when you describing someone's uh, appearance um and they're i don't know six foot something and they're thin and they're um got a mustache and i'm like okay but do you really need to know that <laughs> Maybe you could throw that in or, or the moustache part in a bit later on. Do you really need a full description of what that person looks like in the same paragraph, you know? 
I'm like, if the reader doesn't need to know, then the writer shouldn't write it. It's the same thing, well, obviously the same thing, but but different. Uh, when it comes to screenwriting, is is what you're putting in, is it moving the plot forward and funny, or is it just funny, or is it just whatever? And if it's just whatever, you got to get rid of it. You know, you want if it's to, not moving it, yeah. If it's mm -hmm. not moving it, it's not needed. Yeah, less is more. Exactly, less is more, especially when it comes to like telling us, like telling a film, when it, writing a film. I mean, everything that you're putting on is what we're going to be seeing on camera so if you're just putting it in to be whimsical or cute scrap it you know it's just it's, one of uh, lawless justice is like eighty thousand words and you've got to turn that into three acts how do you turn an eighty thousand worded novel into three acts this is this is what st just got me stuck with when it came to the script writing the the first uh, page and the three acts I'm like, I can't do this. It's bad enough having to write a blurb and not give away all of your secrets. Mm -hmm. But with the three acts, you give away all of your secrets, but you've got to bare bones of what's happening at the beginning, the middle and the end, bare bones. And I just admire anybody who can do that. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm more than happy to read it and uh, take a oh, look and give you're you, just give you my it. thoughts. You're, yeah, no, you'll definitely get that book today. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I really would like your thoughts on it. For and sure. So many, you know, the the guy who was going to do it. So many things he was like, take out character, change this and that. You can't do this. You need to do that. You need to concentrate on this storyline and not have that in the background. And so I'd like to get someone else's uh, opinion on it as well. So mm -hmm. that'd be really mm -hmm. cool. Well, Karina, I think our I think our time is up for today, but I, I do want to I do want to thank you. This was absolutely lovely. I love talking with new people and just to hear what what you know, what what moves you, you know, what what inspires you. And the fact that it's the piece of literature that that I've known for so long and something that I've that's I've always been a fan of for so long. Yeah, we're, we're different, but we're not. But we're, but we're also very, very similar, you know, and that's yeah. that's the magic of literature that's the magic of cinema that's the magic of art right and that is. you're literally on the other side of the planet and it's just fun to to uh share this experience so it was an absolute honor and i gotta tell you anytime you want to come back i'd love to i'd love to chat some more oh lovely i'll have to think of another movie <laughs> thank <laughs> you for having me andrew it's been a blast absolutely but before you go would you mind telling the listeners how they can find you yeah, well, I have a link tree, which is uh, where you go to find my social links, all links to my books, my website and my newsletter. Um, it's Linktree, which is uh, L-I-N-K-T-R, then dot, then double E and slash and then small letters, Karina Gantas. Perfect. I'll make sure that is in the episode show notes and uh, and. Yeah. And um, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you. Again, thank you, Karina, for coming on to the show. I had an absolutely delightful time chatting with you. And I can't wait to read read your books and give you some give you some thoughts. And for the listeners, definitely check out our work. Please read the show notes because I've got her link, her link tree up. And while you're at it, while you're looking out those show notes, please do yourself a favor and subscribe rate it, leave a review, visit my website. I've got, in addition to the podcast, I've got some blogs that I'm working on that are 
that are out there. So have a look there. But that's really all I've got. Again, I know I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Karina Cantus, what an absolute treat it was uh, chatting with her. So that's all we've got for this week. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. And we will catch you next time on another episode of Stanford Cinema. Cinema.